Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Andy English from the Headley Boys podcast. Now, when I look at Canadian history and we look at the First World War, I tend to take kind of a broader look at it. I look at the battles. I might mention certain officers who maybe wrote letters home when I'm quoting them or somebody who got a medal. But generally, I'll say 5,000 people died in this battle. But there's stories to each of those individuals. And that's what I like about the Headley Boys podcast. Because it looks at the men from Headley, British Columbia, who went overseas and fought. So it gives us a personal look to those soldiers who fought in the First World War. And Andy English does a, a fantastic job of it. Now, I do have to mention that we had a little bit of trouble with the Zoom uh, interview. For some reason, my audio wasn't being picked up properly. So my questions may seem a little bit stilted. And that's because I had to record some of them afterwards uh, and then he would respond to them we actually had to kind of I sent the questions through chat and he'd respond to them so hopefully it doesn't sound too weird but I hope you enjoy it so let's just get to our interview with Andy English from the Headley Boys podcast so the Cenotaph is one of the oldest in Canada you mentioned on the podcast is that what sparked the idea for the show well um, the Cenotaph that was the, the age of it was something we discovered later on um, I mean, again, it, we knew it as old. Uh, I remember it, it's, I mean, the whole thing started, it was um, Remembrance Day back in probably 2013. And the pastor was struggling to, he had forgotten his paper and he was struggling to read the names off the cenotaph because they're in lead letters and they've been picked off so much over the years. He couldn't read them and it was, it was such a shame. Um, and so I was a member of the museum and I said, I'd like to maybe do some research and more on the men and see if there were any men that weren't you know recorded on it and so I started doing this project and the uh, one of the museum uh, directors Jennifer Douglas came on board and was able you know go through the museum records and luckily the Headley Gazette is we have copies but it's also digitized online now so that made that that research gave us somewhere and then the army records so it started as a project to get the cenotaph restored um, but while we were doing it, of course, we found a lot of other information, particularly that story of 17 men and boys on one day going to war, all leaving Headley. And they all stood right outside where the cenotaph is now. The photographer is standing on the spot the cenotaph stands on, and he took the photo of these men. Um, and five of those men didn't come back. They're on that cenotaph. Um, so we had a reunion on that date, 100th anniversary, we managed to track down quite a number of relatives of a number of these men who went to war, as well as some of the other Headley men, and all attended this reunion. And again, most of the families, of course, were unaware of it. They didn't know the significance of, you know, the fact being this relative, this is what he did. He was a part of a big group of men that all joined up. And we had this uh, reunion, and we even had the um, great nephew of the man who signed their attestation papers into the army. Uh, Richard Lucas, whose uh, great uncle was their CEO, Travis Lucas, um, as well as relatives of Alec Jack and all these other men. And it was just fascinating to hear the stories being swapped. And of course, it kindled a lot of interest with them. So more information came out. And uh, yeah, then we raised enough money, uh, generous donations through them and through Veterans Affairs. And we got the Cenotaph restored and these two men added to it. But of course, during the research, 
we found, it was in the Headley Museum, there was a letter from Alec Jack, written in 1966, talking about this 47-year-old monument. Well, he was a banker. If it's 47, it's not nearly 50, it's not, it's, 47 makes it 1919, and it, I know that's old. You know, the cenotaph in England wasn't unveiled until, I mean, they were building the, the cenotaph here in August of 1919, less than a year after the war finished. And they didn't even call it a cenotaph. It was um, War Monument to the Fallen. That was what it was originally called. But um, so we had that unveiled in 2017. And then by then I got to admit myself and Jennifer, we were, we were pretty burnt out and, you know, personal life and everything. So we took a break. But it's, um, I always wanted to come back and I always had this real itch <laughs> to find out more about what happened to these men. And again, the army records right. weren't all available at that point. Mm -hmm. They were releasing them, you know, in blocks if, you, if you've uh, been, you know, studying army, army records from the First World War, but a lot of them were, were just not available still. So of course they came out in the preceding couple of years. And so I went back over it again and yeah, I mean, I read the Headley Gazette pretty much cover to cover a couple of times and <laughs> Got, uh, got to know all these different things and went back over all the soldiers' records and just tied, a, tied the bigger picture together um, about how these men, yeah, I mean, what they did, what they did after as well. Um, and we're lucky to have this, you know, this collection um, of information in the, in the, with their letters and things that are in the Gazette and, you know, the different family things that have come through and all these forgotten tales of these men. Uh, what was the research process for the show and was it easier or harder than you envisioned? Yeah, I mean, like I say, a lot of the research um, were done, had been done beforehand. You know, we did a museum display and then for the cenotaph restoration and wrote a couple of articles. But again, it was uh, really with this over the last winter, I've, I've been off work anyway, different injury, <laughs> injured shoulder and things. So it gave me a chance to actually sit down and then COVID happened as well, which was the perfect, but I wanted to do a talk. That was the idea. I was going to do a slideshow lecture with a lot of this information that's come, come about and, you know, just like I say, tying the big picture, because we'd always focused on the men who were killed. And it was like, to me, there's a lot of the men, they came back and they, They've got a story. They still served as well. And it was trying to tie all of this together. And it was originally going to be this, this slideshow lecture for perhaps 20, 30 people in Headley. <laughs> and of course it got cancelled. And someone said, well, well, why not do a podcast? And again, the idea would be, I was just going to start doing my talk. And, but it, after about five minutes, I realized that was just not possible <laughs> to sit there and just talk. So, yeah, I ended up basically having to write everything. So everything you hear is all scripted. And, yeah, I busted it out just going back through, um, you know, using the notes, the letters that uh, myself and Jennifer had transcribed back when research and just going back in and, yeah, just piecing it, their story together and giving more, more flesh on it, I suppose. Uh, what has the response to the show been overall? Um, I've, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's my first podcast, and so maybe you know more than this. I mean, it's like, yeah, my friends and family, oh, it's really good. I really like it. So how many episodes? You, well, I've only listened to the first five minutes, but it sounds really good, and I'm going to listen to it later. It seems to be a lot of that. But again, yeah, I, I, I have had people in town come up to me, totally unexpected, and just, you know, who I barely know, and have said, 
oh, I really enjoy your podcast. I, you know, I do a lot of driving and I've been really enjoying it. So, you know, I've, I've had a little bit of feedback like that, which is, you know, which is a nice, I mean, again, originally the idea was it was just, you know, it's a Headley, but of course, as I learned more of the story and what, what these men did and tied it in more with the Canadian history of the war, Mm-hmm. that's you know again they did play a big part and for such a small town these men were everywhere the very very first battles involving canadian soldiers there were men from headley and the very last battles there were men from headley and they were in every battle in between and you know for such a small town i mean again i did the you know breakdown it was like out of the, we had there's 58 men who joined the canadian expeditionary force 44 of them ended up serving at the front 11 were killed that's one in four yeah you know the canadian average was what was one in 10 mm-hmm. you know so again it start. you know it gets pretty brutal for these men and nearly every one other one of those men was wounded and spent time in hospital and again a large number of them were wounded so bad they were out of the army so you know it really it was really harsh and again it's the um when I was looking, you know, the later lives, you know, um, some of their records again in the military records, it had, if they die in a military hospital, it has their date of death. So many of them died in the 1940s and the 1950s. Very, very few of them were around for the 50th anniversary, you know, and even the young men, they died young. It's, you know, we're used to the war, you know, First World War veterans lived into the 21st century, you know, mm-hmm. they were some of the oldest men who had ever lived, but, you know, we don't, <laughs> Like it, but the Headley boys, they were all gone by the 1970s. You know, they, they were the men who really fought. These were the guys who lived in the trenches. These were the men who breathed the gas, who came home with the limps, with the gammy arms and everything else. Um, and, but they were the ones who, who were everywhere. And like I say, it's, they played quite major roles in a lot of different things. And yeah, for such a small little town in the, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere almost, um, you know, but it, because of this mine, it did, it attracted these people. I mean, there was men from Australia that mm-hmm. came to Headley and, you know, ended up joining up from here. And, you know, so it was really representative, I think, of the Canadian army as a whole as well. Uh, do you feel that the war being over a hundred years ago, that some of the stories have been lost to history? Yes, I do. And I, I do feel the stories are being lost. And again, I, <clears throat> with these men, I mean, all their families I spoke to, they didn't know these stories. They, these men didn't talk about it. And it's not surprising. I mean, you know, what they went through. How do you tell that to your kids? How do you tell that to your wife? You know, I spent the night sitting on top of a dead guy. You know, I ate my breakfast next to a rotting corpse and you know how do you explain these or you know and the stories of you know your friends being killed you know it's like any war but again i think the first world war in particular and they got to the point where i think perhaps they were comfortable talking about the war and then the second world war happened and then everybody the first world war is just absolutely consigned to history it just becomes this thing that, that um you know the lions led by donkey myth and everything else that the men had ever done is you know, it's forgotten. And the thing is, well, it's like the next generation, they're the generation that's referred to as the greatest generation. (laughs) Well, what about this generation? Wow. I mean, you know, these are people who grew up riding horses and carts, finished, you know, flying aeroplanes and all sorts of things, lived through the pandemic, the depression, then had to send their kids off for another war, knowing what war was all about. And then their kids are the greatest generation. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so again, I do think their stories were totally lost. I think, I think very much the First World War, until this centenary has come around, I think it's been <clears throat> so neglected and so overtaken by the Second World War. And to me, the First World War, I think in a way, certainly from, uh, from Britain, from Canada, was a much more important war. Um, and they played much more significant roles. The casualties were much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, people don't realize how many Canadians were killed in that war. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, our, our monument has 13 men from the First World War. It has four from the Second World War. And way more men served in the Second World War from this yeah. town. It was a bigger town and a lot more men went. But again, yeah, the casualties were much, much smaller. Yeah, yeah the First World War, their stories, they have been lost. And the thing is, in the, the paper, um, you know, there are these letters that they write from the front. You know, they write them while they're resting up on the march down from one battlefield to another. They're writing, these experiences are fresh in their mind. You know, they're writing from their hospital bed. Um, you know, recovering from absolutely horrendous injuries. Um, yet they're writing to their friends in Headley. You know, they're trying to, you know, keep the chin up. But it's <laughs> the fact being so many of these letters always end with, give my regards to everybody in Headley. Remember me to my friends in Headley. And, you know, this little town in the middle of nowhere, for these guys, you know, and they came from all over the world. They're not thinking about their hometown. They're thinking about here. This is nailed at home. And the fact being, so many of the men who did survive came back to Headley. I mean, there was then a bit of a depression and recession in the town and a lot of the jobs went. And of course, a lot of these men moved on. But, you know, a significant number, they came from the other side of the world. They came all the way back. They didn't stop anywhere else in Canada. They came straight back to Headley. And I think that says a lot, you know, a lot for this feeling that they had, you know, and they called themselves the Headley boys. And, you know, they... They, there was this band of brothers, I suppose, this camaraderie. And again, I imagine it was only ever shared amongst themselves. You know, a very small group of them would have been able to share this. And yeah, their voices were silenced many, many years ago. Uh, how many episodes in total is the entire series? Um, there will be nine episodes uh, for the entire season. Um, yeah, it's, that's just <laughs> how it seemed to naturally <laughs> break down into, into that um, uh, so yeah, I'm just working on, as we record this, I'm actually working on my ninth and last episode, uh, right now. So there are eight episodes out at the moment. Um, and I'm working on a website as well that will tie in with it, headleyboys.com. Um, again, cause you know, I, I want anybody who's interested in this podcast, you know, I, I want to find out more. A lot of these men, we still don't know, you know, lots about them. Um, some of the men in this, I mean, yeah. The idea originally was to have photos of every man who was killed. Well, there's some of the men we still don't have identifiable photos. Um, the archives in the museums are wonderful archives. They've got lots of photos and they've got a number from that period. And there's some good group photos. And the chances are some of these men are in those photos, but we just can't identify them. Um, we don't have another photo that says, for instance, this one is Thomas Calvert. We don't know what he looked like. We, I know from his military records, he has a ballerina tattoo on his right arm, but <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help us with the Headley photos. But again, mm-hmm. it's one of these, if we can find something where it says an identifiable photo, then we can use that to find more photos, which we did with Alec Jack. We didn't realize we had about four photos in the Headley archives with Alec Jack playing golf. It's like <laughs> these famous photos that are on display in the museum are of this golf, this golf party. Turns out it was Christmas Day, 1919. 
just after the cenotaph had been unveiled and Alec Jack's back in town and he's having his round of golf on Christmas day and nobody knew. And then his grandson turns up and he's got another photo from the collection all signed by Alec Jack with who else is in it. So again, it's like these men were there. And that was the other, I've got just uh, one of these little headly quirks. Um, when we were doing the cenotaph meetings and the committee meetings, we were like um, meeting in the media room with all the files and the photographs and found this, you know, this letter that mentioned the three Cenotaph Committee members, Jack, Alec Jack being one of them, Tommy Knowles, who has ended up as the postmaster, and this other man called Joe Rotherham. Well, through doing the research and finding other photographs of them, it turns out all three of those men were in photographs in that room, looking down on us at the same time. <laughs> and it was just like, okay, we're just, we're just carrying, we're passing that torch on. Um, because, again, this, this Headley... It's one of these places where it's just the unexpected happens. Um, and these weird, weird coincidences. When I recorded the music, um, Maple Leaf Forever, we recorded it in the, I recorded it in the Grace Church. And I used to be current pianist and moved to town a few years back. And she loves her history and researched the original, you know, one of the old pianists, um, Ina, Ina Knowles. And she had married one of the Headley boys, Tommy Knowles, in that very church on the very seventh anniversary of the day that these men had all joined up, this big group of men. And I'm telling Cindy this, and I said, so her family, their family actually ended up using that date as a wedding date. And I said, you know, the 24th of August. And she looks at me and she goes, that's mine and Terry's wedding. <laughs> and it's just like, and this is in the same church that was the chapel that stood there since 1903. And mm -hmm. most of these men, this is their church. And you know that some of those men, their last night in Headley, they were in that church praying before they left to go serve. And that was the moment, yeah, it's still <laughs> even now, you know, that, yeah, yeah th those guys, they're there still. <laughs> and yeah, and it's, I suppose it's for them we're doing it for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how many episodes in total is the entire season? Uh, you mentioned the show Many Stories, but the beginning, Vimy Ridge and beyond. Any favorites from the show? Yeah, I think I, it's a favorite. Yeah. I mean, I think the one, the, the most impactful, I think to me is the Vimy Ridge, but not necessarily, you know, both the attack, but also the trench raid because it's so little known. And the more research I've done on that, I mean, Tim Cook, the superb, superb Canadian historian wrote an excellent, excellent article on it um, called a frightful slaughter, I believe. And it is just chilling what you know they knew how bad it was going to go and there was just no good reason to do it i mean just none i mean at that point of the war nobody was using gas cylinders the germans had as good a gas protection as anybody it was just uh, you know just one of these things that should have been canned i mean but there's almost a black adder you know, <laughs> horror in it where yeah. these guys, they, you know, from the top down, you know, they keep going all the way up, you know, the Lieutenant Colonels, this is crazy. The Germans know they caught prisoners who told them this, they knew that attack was coming. We're ready for you Canadians. Come on over. <laughs> and they still, you know, General Ironside is Edmund Ironside. He ended up as the commander of the home forces in charge of all the Canadians in the second world war, ironically. But at that point he basically said, Nope, go ahead and do it. And so three battalions were just sacrificed in 15 minutes for no reason. 
Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's an unknown Canadian story. It's a clip six weeks later, there's the triumph at Vimy Ridge. Well, this was absolute chaos. And I mean, it really hampered the whole Vimy Ridge operation. I mean, they've got three battalions, you know, the 11th Brigade, who's been blown to pieces and now they've got to rebuild them. They've got to rebuild the men. They've got to rebuild the morale and then get them up. Oh, and you've still got to take that bit of ground, which you just got slaughtered on. And it's the <laughs> toughest bit of the whole ridge. Uh, to me, I just, yeah, it was, it was crazy. And I, I compare it to Dieppe and, you know, Dieppe was a you know, bigger scale. But again, it's, yeah, I don't think there was anything until that where, you know, you knew these guys were going to get killed. And there was, you know, no reason to do it. Absolutely zero. It achieved nothing. Um, so, yeah. And, and again, if I think if more Canadians know that story, to me, that's, that's an important, often forgotten. And it costs the lives of two Headley boys. Yeah. You know, they both died of wounds that, from, to receive that night. And there was no other action where two men were killed in one, one engagement. So, yeah, I think that's the one that, to me, the most personal because again, yeah, when I first read about it, it's just, it's just shocking, you know, you, especially at that stage of the war and what you read about and how prepared the Canadians were supposedly at that point. And to go ahead with that. Yeah. I still, yeah, still it's, it's upsetting. I think if you read that in its entirety, it's, it is brutal um, to know that happened to Canadians and it, it shouldn't have. Do you have any plans to, to make a season two for the podcast? I know a season two at the moment. I mean, I'm just concentrating on, on getting this, this one finished. Um, I mean, there are, there's more, there's certainly more letters and stories and different things. And like I say, I want to get this, this website up and running and see what comes in, what I can bring in um, from that. Uh, because yeah, there is, there's, you know, there are, there's photos out there. We know when the recruits, we've got one photo of the 17 recruits lined up outside the bank on the 24th of August but we know more photographs were taken. The town photographer, his brother was in, was one of the men joining up. So he took a lot of photographs. We know there are photographs of the men leaving the town in the trucks with a banner proclaiming recruits from Headley, the machine gun town. I'd love to see one of those photos. Mm. You know, um, I'd love to find some more of these stories of some of the other men. Um, so yeah, a season two and that maybe focus on some of the battles they fought on as well. Because again, you know, due to the nature of the podcast, I don't, you know, I don't want to go too heavy on the, <laughs> the military and everything else. But again, it'd be nice to perhaps a little bit more depth on one or two of the battles that they were quite heavily involved in and, you know, give a little bit more information on that sort of thing. So maybe something like that or yeah, find some interesting people to interview and talk to and do some interviews. The last question, how can people find the show? Okay, so I'm on the uh, Buzzsprout hosting service, but uh, my podcast, I, I'm on every platform now. So if you, you get Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those ones, as well as History Pods, which I think is a really good. <laughs> really yeah. good. Uh, if you like history, it's an excellent, excellent site. There's, mm. there's podcasts on every topic, and I'm, I'm really proud to put you know to be on it and i will say since i've been on it my audience has absolutely shot up i'm reaching people on every continent now um at countries all over the place and i'm just thrilled people are listening and they're finding out about headley and the headley boys because to me i'm you know it were a small town in the middle of bc in the, in the middle of nowhere almost <laughs> but 
we really did play a big part in that great war. We mm. really did, you know, and the fact being it stands to this day on its same spot is one of the very oldest cenotaphs in all of Canada. Um, and again, I would like to know for sure. The oldest I found in Al um, Alberta was 1920 and it got moved. Um, I've not heard of any that are older. So again, if anybody knows of a cenotaph somewhere that when it was erected before December, 1919, be nice to know about that. But again, it's, it's on this historic spot. It's, you know, where this photographer, he actually stood at that spot and, you know, it's, it's a good spot in the town, of course, but it, you know, to these men, they, they knew what it meant. And when that cenotaph went up, the feelings and the emotion in that town. And, you know, I will say this today for Headley, um, for a little town of perhaps 200 or so full-time residents, every Remembrance Day, over half the town attends. The seniors do um, hot rum and butter rum at the end of uh, the service, and they give out tokens for it. And it's, there's always at least 100 people. And there's always a few more. Uh, people you won't see all year, they will come for the Remembrance Day. So, you know, even though people have forgotten the stories of the Headley boys, they haven't forgotten the Headley boys. And I think that's, that's the key thing with this podcast and everything is I just want people to, next time if you come through Headley and you stop at that, you know, look at that, look at those men and you know a little bit of what they went through and what they did. So I hope you enjoyed that look at the Headley Boys podcast. Nine episodes that you can enjoy on all podcast platforms. Just go to headleyboys.com for more information and to learn about Andy. He puts together a fantastic podcast. I highly recommend it. Um, if you want to, you can give me a rating and review, or you can give Andy a rating or review. Uh, both of us would love it. It helps us move up the rankings on Apple Podcasts. If you want, you can reach me at craig at canadaehx.com. Uh, you can find hundreds of articles on Canada's history, as well as all of my podcast episodes on my website at canadaehx.com. And you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. Just like all of these wonderful patrons have. Aaron O'Hara. Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., Renee Beliveau, and Iris Gray. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.